Well, you are live with us for Elite Business Live, and I can tell already some of the conversation is beginning to bubble on our hashtag EBL2021, our first section on commercial business growth. And who better to kick it off than a former fire-breathing dragon? Uh, I've always seen him as an entrepreneur. He is, uh, has an insatiable energy and positivity. What I've secretly noticed in recent years is him quietly and genuinely supporting hundreds of other entrepreneurs. He's a lawyer by background. He's actually a banker by background as well. And he sits on the board of the British Business Bank. He is, of course, the brilliant Piers Linney. Welcome, Piers. Piers. We could bow, we could shoulder bump, <laughs> etc. Et it's lovely to see you. Good How to be here. You? It's fantastic. Very good. Now tell me, do you still have that board seat on the Business Bank? I do. That's great to see the logo there. Great to see them supporting it. I may even give them a mention. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, we've plugged them, haven't we? But, but on a serious note, dishing out a huge amount of financial support in an unbelievable year. Well, last year, we went from sort of exact numbers eight to sort of 80 plus billion. So, you know, we're the biggest, uh, well, the bank is the biggest investor in small and high growth businesses in the UK now. It's massive, isn't it? Um, do you have to behave differently, Piers? You're in such different worlds, you know, as the entrepreneur and then almost in a very corporate boardroom environment, or are you just always Piers? How do you play? Um, I, I'm a little bit different, but I, I'm me. I think that's why people want me on these boards. I think that's right. It's almost the breath of fresh air. Right, now I know you've got uh, yep. a whole bunch of good stuff for our viewer this morning. So, uh, Piers Linney, over to you. Thank you. So I, I get asked for advice all the time, um, small companies, growth companies, startups, even scale-ups as well. And I sort of try to boil it down into, you know, what are, the, what, are the, what are the things I should talk about, the factors for growth? So I kind of boiled it down into five. And this is really about business growth. So business growth is important. I'll talk about the fact that I don't think staying still is a, a strategy anymore. It's a dangerous one in dynamic markets and a, a rapidly changing world. But growth is important. It's important for personal wealth. It's important for you know, GDP, employment, and innovation as well. So I haven't got much time, so I'm going to get into it. So I broke it down into planning, having a plan. Another one is operations. Getting ready to grow is really important. People, clearly, that's a really important one. Could be number one, but I put it at number three. Your success is you know, it's correlated massively with your team and your talents and the way in which you manage them. Technology is clearly a key one, and the, during the last 18 months, we've seen technology really accelerate away and how you implement that and use that in your business. And the last one is finance, of course. Well, I'll touch upon finance, which is clearly a big subject. So the first one's planning, and you'll, you'll see in the graphic here, there's an A and a B. And I talk to lots of people, small companies, startups, and they've got an idea what they want to do, but they don't really have, have a plan. And I think what we've seen, I've been involved in quite a few um, competitions recently with various brands where I've seen lots of entrants come in where they've had to pivot and change their plans. And I'm not talking here about having a, you know, a massive sort of business plan, you know, this thick. I'm talking about having an idea of what point B looks like from your point A. And this is really important for a number of reasons. One is it allows you to sort of draw a roadmap. You know, you might see on the internet quite a lot that, you know, straight line growth is the best way doesn't exist. You know, if you're trying to build a business, it's going to meander. You might want to find the path of least resistance. That's why rivers meander. So you want to look at your point B and work out how do you get there. My ex-chairman, Sir Ken Alyssa, always used to say to me that if you know what point B looks like, you may, say that's New York and you're in London, you may end up going via Greenland and Iceland and landing in New Jersey. 
that's not a bad shout, that's not a bad result. But as long as you get there, that's what planning is about. And what a plan allows you to do is to take your, your stakeholders with you. It might be employees, it might be customers, it could be debt providers, it can be a whole host of people. And they, if you're the captain of a ship and you know where you're going, but the crew hasn't got a clue, then it's probably going to end badly. And the last thing is, is what a plan allows you to do as an entrepreneur, I suffer from this shiny object syndrome, is it allows you to make decisions more efficiently and more effectively. If that decision, if expending that resource, that energy, that thinking time, that money, most importantly, if that doesn't help you move closer from point towards point B, from point A, then don't do it. So planning is really important. And not having a plan is a bad plan. The second one is operation. And people often forget about this. And I, I learned this the hard way. I liken this to, um, it's like a pantomime horse, really. So you've got your business, and often what you'll find in growth businesses is the front end begins to, if, if you're doing well, you know how to sell, your front end starts to detach from the back end, and it can't catch up. So yes, you're selling, you're doing well, you're, you've got customers, you're generating revenues, but your systems, processes, policies, they're not, not, not up to scratch. And what that means often is, is that at some point you can have a massive issue. And it's going to be more expensive to fix that down the line than it is if you put all those systems and processes and policy, policies in place at day one. And what that allows you to do in terms of operational effectiveness, it means that people in the business, they understand what the, the rules of the game are, especially if you're regulated. You know, people need to know how they get stuff done. How do they get things through commercial? Or how does your, how does your marketing work in terms of making it your, your ROI most efficient and effective? So operational effectiveness and operations is really important. So the first thing to think about is this, no matter how big your business is, is automate everything. Go for your management accounts, look at every single line and work out, can I reduce that cost? Can I automate it? Can I integrate these things? If you don't know what API is, go and find out. You can integrate software now very easily for a few clicks. So your finance is a great example. It was mentioned earlier that your accounts and your sales and your, your CRM system in terms of your pipeline of sales, that can all be interlinked now. So think about how you automate your business. So that allows you to focus on the business of actually running your business. So the next one I'm going to go on to is people. So this is, this is quite a big one. So People are your, the engine of your business. This is what it's all about, really. And when you start a business, you're, if you're a startup, you put two people in the room, and what you realise very quickly is you're developing a culture. So realising what your culture needs to be, how you want that to work internally, how you want to reflect that externally is very important. And the lesson to learn is, get a drink of water, the lesson to learn about people is that as your business grows, you may find that the people and the skills you need begin to change. When you start out, you'll find that um, you know, if you're a startup business, we've all suffered from this, you run around and you put together this kind of ragtag team of people who are available, they're kind of generalists, they can do a bit of multitasking, and that works quite well. As you begin to grow, what you'll find is that you need specialists. So, and that can be really, really difficult. You may find that the people around that table in your kitchen when you started your business, that eating pizzas you know, late at night, they're not the right people to go forwards. If you're in a scale-up, you may find that your management team, who were fantastic at getting you from half a million to five million of revenue, they're not the people to take you from five million to 50 million. And that can be a very difficult thing to do. And the point is, is that you, if you're running the business or if you're in the business, you need to reflect upon that 
absorb it and along the way is stop and look at the team look at yourself actually and work out are these the right people to take you to the next level and often i've had a couple of businesses where i've been through three management teams at different levels different scales they some people realize that and this is often a hard decision to make i wrote an article on linkedin about how to fire a friend i mean it, sometimes it can be like that so i'm more about practical advice so think about the team think about you and if you as the leader this is the hard thing about growing businesses you know growing a business that involves risk it involves managing risk and that's what these five factors are about so what you have to do as you begin to grow a business is manage people very carefully and it's a bit like the operational effectiveness a lot of entrepreneurs they don't want to get into the detail you want to do exciting stuff you want to go out you want to meet customers and you forget sometimes that, that operational effectiveness that managing people you know going through their performance talking to them finding out what they need and how they're doing means that if you're not doing that then people will not be as efficient as effective as you want them to be so manage people very very closely and then you will find out and they will find out as well whether they're the right people to to continue on that journey and if they're not you have to find a fair way of dealing with that clearly So a big one again is technology. This is probably another talk, but um what's become clear over the last 18 months during the, the pandemic is that technology has, has changed the game. I spent so many years trying to sell video conferencing to people and they didn't want to use it, they didn't want to adopt it, they didn't want to do their hair, what's in the background and now no one will take a voice call. So the pandemic has it's been an accelerant. It's accelerated the adoption and the use of technology in business. And this is this is a fantastic thing and it also relates to again operational effectiveness automate everything and also people so i'm a big believer in that you know talent you know work is something you do it shouldn't be somewhere you go now clearly there are some uh, professions where you need to be there but increasingly we're seeing the video conferencing remote working you know flexible uh, working as well it's changed the game in terms of how you how you react to and how you engage talent so that's really important and technology means that what you can do as I was saying earlier is you can automate a lot of what your business you you can automate things you probably didn't understand the issue about technology is that large companies they embrace technology they have procurement departments full of well-paid people that make purchasing decisions how to embrace and adopt and use technology and what that does is give them a competitive advantage where small companies really, really they should be they should they should have the competitive advantage they should be able to embrace technology integrate it deploy it a lot faster and and use that you can now deploy systems in your business it could be a corner shop that is a system that a large foot 100 company would have struggled to adopt and deploy even you know 3 years ago so the power of technology is immense and and small and high growth companies even small and high growth tech companies they may be developing software but often they're not actually using technology in their in their back office in the best way they possibly could so again look at your business go for your management accounts and work out what can i automate how can i reduce the cost how can i make my business more efficient more effective how can i delight my customers in new ways again what i've seen is what allowed to do technology is reach new customers reach new markets depending how you want to grow um that's growing your top line which is good news also it's about reducing your cost base so in the middle that's profit and that's all cash flow if you're an unprofitable business so 
that's all good news. Technology is your friend, it's empowering. And if you don't understand it or anything I've mentioned in this, in this talk, then what you need to do is find someone in your business that can. Going back to people, look at your own skill set and try and find people you can bring in and to fill those skill gaps. Now, last but not least is finance. So, you know, most companies at some point in their growth or their development are going to need finance. And that might be finance from, you know, your, your friends and family to get over a difficult patch. It might be you need a very large loan. It might be you want to raise venture capital or angel. Now, my background is very much finance. I've worked in the city. I've been a venture capital lawyer. I'm on the board of British Business Bank. I'm very proud to be. And this is something that uh, we've seen a huge amount of change during the pandemic as well, because I think it's something like over 70, 73% of small businesses, they were reticent about bringing in external finance. And what we're seeing now is that that's changed. Uh, we're seeing over the last year, it's probably yesterday I was on the launch of the, uh, the small business finance markets review, I can't remember the exact name, uh, from British Business Bank. And that was enlightening in terms of how we've seen small companies embrace technology. Now, the point about raising finance is that what you need to do and what most companies don't understand, no matter how big they are, up to even 100 or a couple of hundred employees, they don't understand their financing options. And that's the key to it. It's not go and talk to your accountant. They go and talk to one organization about finance. They say no, perhaps. And then that's the end of the conversation. Now, the world's evolving. In the last year, I've been involved in debt finance. I had a company I founded last year. We did crowdfunding, raised one half million pounds from angels and from the crowd. There's P2B lending, there's asset financing. There's companies now where you can actually almost securitize recurring revenues. So the finance world, because the technology, is changing massively as well. So there's more money out there. I mean, British Business Bank now, as I was saying earlier, it's the largest investor in small and high-growth businesses in the UK. So the money's out there. What you have to do is go through my five factors, actually, because anyone, raise, anyone looking to put money into your company is going to do due diligence. And they're going to go through almost the four, the preceding four things I've talked about. They're going to go through your plan. They're going to look at your operational effectiveness. They're going to look at your team and your people. They're going to look at your technology, either your technology that you're selling or how you're using it internally. So raising finance is something that can take longer than you think it's going to. It can be more complicated. And trust me, it can be hard work. So plan to raise finance. You know, venture can take anything up to you know, 12 months. Loan can take several months. What you have to do, though, is understand your options so that you're not trying to force a round peg into a square hole. You have to understand where you fit into that financing landscape. There's no point having a fantastic idea in the shower, some new tech startup, and running off to some West Coast VC fund to try and raise you know, $50 million. It's probably not going to happen. And if you don't have the cash flow or the assets or uh, some way of uh, providing security, then it's probably difficult to raise loans as well. So think about it. And I put all the content out there on various uh, uh, LinkedIn or YouTube as well about how to raise finance. But this is really, really important. It's really important that you understand your options to raise finance to grow, because typically to grow, you're going to need some kind of finance. Now, British Business Bank, very helpfully, they've created a thing called the, the Finance Hub. You can go on there and answer, I think it's about six easy questions, and that then will tell you what kind of finance it is that, that you need to raise for your business. So there's five factors. Um, planning, operations, 
people, technology, finance. If you go through those and you put in your sort of your management plan over every quarter or so and just go through each of these and tick them off, review them, make any changes, uh, you're going to find that your business is better set for growth. And I'll say the last thing I'll say, I said at the beginning, is that having no growth plan is no longer a good plan. You know, your market can change on some tweet. Um, you could have a small shop and find that you're being disintermediated. The point is, in small and high-growth businesses, if you're selling the average product at the average price to the average person in the average way, then you're going to find that some big company who can do that much better than you can is going to eat your lunch. So think about this and plan for growth. That's what we all need. That's what the economy needs. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Piers. Thank you. That was first class. Uh, now, I'm just going to encourage you to take a step just slightly oh. here, and I'm going to uh, say thank you. That was awesome, Pleasure. by the way, and already a compliment coming through on Twitter about the pace of that. So much value packed in. In a game of 20 minutes. That's <laughs> why, <laughs> yeah. No, bless you. Thank you. So, so, so now I get to, to ask you a few questions, if that's okay, and then I know you're going to uh, join our panel. So thank you in advance for that. Um, touched on so many good things there. One was about your chair, who I know by reputation, Sir Ken Alyssa. How does a company know when it's probably time to get a chair involved in the business? What value have you seen it bring in your experience? And how would you even begin to find that right person? So it can be very hard, actually. So <clears throat> the point is, is that you don't just, you know, people always say to me, I need to get a co-founder or I need to get a chairman. You know, you don't just do it for the sake of doing it. Right. There's got to be a good reason for that. So what you need to do, as I was saying in my talk, is to look at your team's skill gaps, yeah. your skill gap, and try and plug them. So a chair can be a lot of different things, yeah. lots of different people. I'm a chair of a company. And I'd be, very, I'd be very different to a chair like Sir Ken. <laughs> very yeah. different. Probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah. so, so it's about finding people that understand you, they believe in your vision, yeah. and they want to get involved, but they can add some value. And what you need, in, in, even in small companies, and people forget, is governance. Yes. So people forget that without good governance, you are essentially increasing the risk in your business because you can't see the wood for the trees. Sometimes. Of course, and it's about that perspective. So is your tip then, look within your existing networks and circles, or is it all right sometimes to make an approach to somebody that you know, you know through trusted I think, networks? I think if you see someone you think you want to be a chair and you think you can sell the business to them, the opportunity to be involved, then don't be afraid. I think that people will always talk to an entrepreneur and always talk to other entrepreneurs as well. Yeah, and there's a lot of generosity out there. And you probably meet some great people on the way to finding that yeah. key individual, I suppose. A um, little bit quick fire, something else you talked around, around, I suppose, succession in terms of, you know, when is it the time to bring in that next layer? I guess the trickiest question is, when is it time for the founder themselves mm. to make room, maybe to step back, maybe to change role? And how would someone tuning in know it's time for me now? Mm. That's one of the most difficult things. So I always try and give practical advice. And, yeah. and those conversations with people that they help you start a business or grow a business or even your board or even yourself is that your times when you realize, and actually they tend to realize before you mm. that the business has outgrown them. Yeah. And they can be really difficult. And you, know, you can find have very difficult conversations or negotiations, actually, about how they exit. So the point is about don't be afraid of it and have those discussions mm. and make sure that your team is fit for purpose. Now, yourself, you have to, again, going back to a chair and that governance, is have people involved that 
to put a mirror up in front of you. Yeah. Say, look, you're good at this. I've had this. So Ken said this to me quite a few times. You're good at this, but you're not very good at this. <laughs> so you know, you need to do something about it. So, so that's interesting. So what's an example of that then? Oh, that's course, a long list. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, you're very, you're very, um, you know, you, you're clearly impressive on so many levels. So what was an example of something which you thought, do you know what? I've got to double down on this and strengthen it. So I'm, I'm naturally quite shoot from the hip, as you probably oh. gather, you know me. So I'm, 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 I'll kind of, you know, jump and then look, have a look at how, how yeah. far down it is. And I've been trained, I was a lawyer and a banker, yeah. so I've been trained that I can do detail. Uh. I can read a document this long, ad- agreements and find all the errors or go in an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. I've been trained to do that, but my proclivity is to sort of just go, go, go. So I've had to find a way of balancing that really in myself or find people to do it for me. Yeah, interesting. So, so on that transition point, I suppose, that can be quite a vulnerable thing to share, can't it, with your team, with your board? Oh, yeah. You know, it might yeah. be time for me to move on. I mean, I, I can imagine someone hesitating to have that because it might show weakness. It's, it sounds like you're saying it's a good thing. Well, I, I tell you what, the other thing that I've had to learn to do is to listen more. So yeah, most people who work with me will probably say, yeah, okay. And, and I'm starting a business now, which is actually focused on small businesses. Uh-huh. And what I've done is I've purposely kind of put my ideas out there, I had yeah. feedback and yeah. iterated them, and I've listened more. And I have to say it's worked out a lot better. Interesting. So, so this is the evolution. All coming out now. It's like, a, it's like therapy. <laughs> so tell, so <laughs> yeah. tell me something on, on therapy. You went through this crowdfunding, which actually, by the way, I think seems so sparkly. And I know brilliant people in that space, Cedars, Crowdcube and so on. It can be also quite demoralizing and tough, right? So what did you learn through the process? Crowdfunding, you raised, what, over a million? Yeah. So we did angels and then crowd. So yeah. Think about craft people think that you, you stick your business on some website, you do a nice video, we all look sort of emotional, and people, and people start writing checks. Yeah. It's not as straightforward as that. There's a lot of work. Even our, our crowdfunding, which was for Afton Bikes, the bike company basically, there are huge amounts of work, probably nine months, yeah. went into preparing for that and raising the angel and going into the crowd. So mm. it might look slick and we had a good time doing it, yeah. but actually it was a lot of work went into it. To have that support behind the scenes. Well, the, the yeah. story, the PR, the, yeah. the, the, the ability to go and raise finance, the governance structures, yeah. uh, put all this stuff in place yeah. so that we're happy taking other people's money. So who then is in your A-team as you're sort of surrounding yourself, particularly on this theme of commercial growth? Who's in the sort of Piers Linney, you know, I call it a kitchen cabinet, but your personal boardroom as you're, as you're planning the growth of your business? Who gets to seat around the table? So I'm, I'm quite lucky that most people take my call. Um, and so in my new business, I, most of my team actually, including my chairman, I didn't know them until Q3 last year. Really? Yeah, not at all, no. And they really sort of come on board and taught me a huge amount about the industry. Right. Often I've got the vision, but I need yeah. people from the industry that know how it all works as well. Right. And, so and, and you've changed built that over from time. scratch recently, yeah. From scratch, yeah. I think you've been a bit too modest about this new business. Just remind us what's involved. Well, I have, I've had to, I have to kill you, but it's, it's still kind of stealth. But, Is it? But basically, we're building a, a small business service provider, our next gen. I'm bored of talking to small businesses and hearing them being missold, ripped off, everything from technology or for any kind of service almost. And what I want to find a way is, is improving and being on their side because nobody is. Well, watch out for the exclusive. I know you'll give it to Elite Business uh, first. Uh, watch it. Have you got a name for it? Moblox. Moblox. Yes, that's what I've seen. Actually. Yeah, so you're sort of out there. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah so, so. a little bit. Excellent. Right, next question. Um, sitting on the board of the business, uh, British Business Bank. Businesses are busy, right? They're often right in the thick of it, in the trenches, often really trying to grapple some pretty tough stuff at the moment. It can be, I think, a bit overwhelming to know how to navigate what's on offer yep. in terms of support. Give us your practical advice, because I can imagine a lot of people just switching off and being like, too complicated, not doing it. On finance or just generally? Particularly finance. 
So finance, again, as I was saying in my talk, is about understanding your options, and most people don't. So if you've got accounts that you've known for many years and, and you're talking to them and they don't understand all the options because the world's changing, yeah. then what you need to do actually is, is think about expanding your universe of advice and people that understand the options out there. Go onto the finance hub, answer six questions, and that will give you an idea of what your options are. So that's, hang on a sec, forgive me if you touched on this in your talk, Pierce, but um, finance hub, what's that? So British Business Bank, we wrote some software, basically, it's a website, and you can go onto there and just Google it, and it'll answer six questions. Yeah. What's your business, what you do, how much you need the money for. Yeah. And that will then tell you, broadly speaking, what your finance options are. Like it. Like, right. for example, equity or crowdfunding, maybe, yeah. or venture. And then you can then go away with, no, with that knowledge yeah. and look and investigate that, that Love opportunity it. more. So it's like a cash nav rather than sat nav. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> yeah, can yeah. See, we can see our roots. Right. Well, now I've got you here, and I know that we're going to have a more uh, sort of broader discussion as a panel, but I want your message to someone who's considering angel funding, angel investing. You've been a dragon, you've invested in a number of businesses. What's the top mistake? frankly, businesses make when they're pitching for angel funding? So I think it's about knowing your, knowing your audience as well. So I did a video on my, my nascent YouTube channel, Piers Lee TV, about how to raise finance for your startup. Uh -huh. As I said, it's about not trying to push round pegs through square holes. Uh -huh. to understand what you're trying to do, where your business is at, understand the universe potential backers and go and try and work out who you should be talking to and understand what they want as well, what they're looking for. A lot of people spend a lot of time talking to the wrong people and then they feel as though that they, then they get sort of depressed because I w they, they said no. Well, they're going to say no because they don't invest in that kind of business. It, so it do, is, your, do your research. Okay. Having said that, what about the angel that's sitting there going, look, you know, I don't invest in particular industries. I invest in founders and I'm quite open-minded. I remember hearing from one of the founders of Innocent that their first outside money came from someone that said, I'm in, now tell me, what do you do? Right, so, so raising money is a sales process. Yeah. So if you meet somebody and, and they're interested, the key is to you know, get them interested. You have a good presentation, all the usual stuff, be investor ready, you can find out what that means. And then when they start talking to you, that's good news. Yeah. Well, your job is to tick off all their worries and concerns and issues. So that eventually, just like the sales process, eventually there's none left. Got it. So then they've got no reason not to write a check. Totally makes sense. Um, top misconception about Dragon's Den? Um, oh, God. That it's not real. So people will say to me, is it real? You know, do you edit it? And I said, no. When I, when I was on Dragon's Den, I sat down in that chair on the first day and the, the lift opened yeah. and out came the first people and that was it. There was no prep and the cameras never stopped. So you might see 13 minutes, that might be two hours of yeah. a negotiation. And they tell a story, they might be crying for a reason. Yeah. We might not have invested because of that particular reason. Understood. But it, it is very real. Interesting. So I'm just putting myself in the shoes of someone tuning in that's saying, look, I, you know, I want to grow the business commercially, but frankly, I don't have anyone in my friends and family network. I don't know these mysterious angels. I wouldn't know where to start. Would you say, well, then it's not for you or could there no, still no. be a way so, through? Yeah, some people have great ideas and have no idea about raising money. They haven't got the social capital. Yeah. Uh, we did some research recently in British Business Bank about access to capital. If you're from, you know, if you're from a black Asian ethnic minority, it can be very, very difficult. Yeah. There's, there's, there's bias out there. So you need to go and find people to understand. I always say talk to entrepreneurs. Yeah. Don't really just go and talk to advisors automatically. Talk to somebody who's done it. Interesting. And you'll find that most entrepreneurs will give you a bit of time. Really powerful. Right, so let me address a massive problem worth solving at the moment. A woefully small amount of cash going into businesses that are founded or co-founded by women. How do we fix that? 
how do we support more women founders and business leaders in general? It's something you do personally, but how do we do more of it across Britain? What do we need to see? So diversity of capital is something I'm very focused on. So whether it's women or ethnic minorities, it, it, it's, it's a very difficult issue. Yeah. There's two issues really. One is about social capital, mm. your access, your understanding, your background. You talked about networks, for example. And one is about access to actual the financial capital. Yeah. So the point really is, is about people need to, to do it and be supported. Then you have role models and success stories. Yeah. But it's very difficult. It, go, it goes way back into the pipeline of people, of entrepreneurs. So I'm just saying we need people to sort of you know, there's some research done that uh, I guess one black woman has raised uh, Series A venture capital in the last 10 years. Yeah. So this has got to change. I think the beauty of it is whether you're female or ethnic minority is that it's now recognised and we're having that conversation. So there's no easy answer, sadly, to it. What you need is success stories yeah. and people that, that are not, go back to your point, about they're not afraid of asking the question and realising that there's no reason why you as a woman or if you're an ethnic minority, why you should not be able to access this capital. They will allow funds, especially set up, to actually invest in women and ethnic minorities. Yeah, absolutely. And indeed, angel networks. Yeah. Alma Angels would be an example. Miriam yeah. uh, would be another example, led by brilliant Priya Guha, and, and, and many others you will know. Um, we're at Elite Business, Business Live with uh, the brilliant Piers Linney, uh, our first keynote of the day, about to have uh, another panel, or our first panel discussion, on the subject of commercial growth. Here's finally, um, I want to go back to that thought of who you surround yourself with. When you're saying, right, I want to have a really bold conversation about the growth of my latest business, who do you invite? It might not be a physical meeting, but who do you invite to that conversation? Who, I want to know more about the inner circle, because I'm fascinated by who business leaders surround themselves by. So I've got, I've got a, I'm, again, I'm quite lucky that I've, you know, I've, I've met lots of different people. So there's always somebody, no matter what the issue of the sector is, that I can call upon. And it kind of works both ways. So I might talk to the founder of a, a big neobank. Yeah. And then that, they will say, oh, give me a bit of advice. And yeah. then they'll call me a few weeks later and say, oh, do you know someone? And so it's kind of this two-way street, really. Yeah. So I don't really have a, a kitchen cabinet. Yeah. I've never have. But what, what but you're I've saying again, though, is about tailoring. Yeah, I've got a network and yeah. I, I, I use that network yeah. and I, I invest time in it. And when my network needs support or guidance or a contact yeah. or access to my network, then it's that two-way street. Yeah. Final question. We're going to come across so many things this week, particularly around digital transformation, I think, where someone watching might go, gosh, I don't have these skills. So how does a business person know when they need to skill up themselves or when they need to develop those skills in another team member? That's a difficult question to end on. Well, no, so the point is about this point I made about generalist specialist. Yeah. When you're small, you can, you can be generalist yeah. and you can watch a few. I've watched a lot of YouTube videos. I learned to edit videos on YouTube, basically. So it's I like to know I like how to do stuff. Yeah. So I, I learned on YouTube how I can edit in Premiere Pro. I'm pretty good at it now. Yeah. But I don't want to do it because I'd rather pay someone to do that. Yeah. But I like to understand what I'm paying them for. So, so you can learn as a generalist, but yeah. eventually you have to start hiring specialists. There are people that are trained They've been in that market for many years. My only advice is when you bring in specialists and they say, do you know who I am? I want 10% of your company. As Ben Horowitz said in his book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, yes. he always said, and remember this, they can leave, you can't. It's great advice to end it, it is, on, yeah. isn't it? And it's a great book, by the way, The Hard Thing About Hard Things by the co-founder of Andreas and Horowitz. For now, though, Piers Lindley, thank you so much for joining us. Would you stick around Thanks for the for having panel? Me. Is that I will okay? do. Where do you want me? Brilliant. If you just go down to